Well, this past week, um, I was in Ohio, and I was actually pleasantly surprised by Ohio. You know, up until this past week, um, I have been to Sandusky, Ohio. You probably know why, Cedar Point. And I have been to Columbus, Ohio. I have been to Cincinnati. And, and, and Ohio is, is all right, but you know what? It's just, it's just Ohio. It's like, hey, I've never thought of Ohio as a place that would be beautiful. But this week I was actually pleasantly surprised. I was down in uh, Hockey Hills doing some, some hiking. And uh, I, we pulled into this one parking lot, and I thought, okay, we'll just go on this little hike, and, and it'll be what it is. And uh, we pulled into this uh, parking lot because we heard about this uh, uh, hike called Old Man's Cave. It's where Barry uh, used to live. Um, <laughs> but we pulled into this parking lot, and it was a nice parking lot, a nice welcome center. But we had heard that this was quite the hike, and you had to experience it. And so there was this parking lot, and there were some trees, and I thought, okay, we'll, we'll start hiking, and we'll, we'll see where this ends up. Maybe we'll end up at a cave and, and see a nice little cave. But we started on this trail, and right away the trail went down these steps, and this is what I saw. All of a sudden, these beautiful caves, you can hit the next slide too, all of a sudden these beautiful caves, waterfalls. And it kept going and going for about a half mile to a mile. We're walking in uh, this cave area on, on both sides, these cliffs on both sides. And I had to pinch myself because I had to think, like, am I in Ohio? Is this truly, like, Ohio? Like, I just think of Ohio as Sandusky, and it's, you know, it's all right, but it's kind of dirty, and it's just kind of the armpit of whatever, you know, America, you know. But I'm like, no, this is in Ohio. And the thing that hit me when I saw these caves, when I went, went through the parking lot, I'm like, there is always more going on than what we see. Like, there's, like, I didn't realize there was this, this big cave just on the other side of these trees. And it started to get me to think this week, like, in life, there is more going on than what we see. We live in a very physical realm. We can see chairs and touch chairs. But, but there are things happening. There are things going on that we don't see. And we don't see with our eyes. There's always more to reality than what meets the eye. Things are always uh, what they appear to be. There is a whole spiritual realm. And as we've been talking about prayers, we've been going through the last couple weeks, Acts 10 and Acts 12, and, and looking how the, the early church really just spent a lot of time in prayer. We saw in Acts 10 that Cornelius and Peter were, were men of prayer, that they constantly were praying, that they were going before their father and pouring out their hearts and, and praying. They realized there was more going on than the physical world. Mike shared in that out of Acts 10 too, the importance of praying and listening. And then the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the story of Peter's escape from prison in Acts 12. And we saw how the church, the early church, prayed earnestly. And it's this picture of the, the church pouring out their hearts in prayer over and over and over again. And the result, what we talked about last week, was Peter was sitting there in prison. And he wasn't necessarily sitting in prison. He was asleep. And Peter would have known the next day that he would have been going before Herod on trial. Probably would have lost his life unless something happened. And here Peter had so much peace in his life that he's sleeping between two prison guards. I want to be that type of church that lives that way. That in the midst of, of life, whenever life throws us a curveball, that we can sit and sleep. We can have so much peace 
peace in our heart where we just say, you know what, it's well with our soul because Jesus is still on the throne. Now, i got to be honest. Last week, I was really tested in that. Because you know last week, if you were here, we had technology issues, and um, I was leading worship, and I had taught as well. And I shared the message, like out of Philippians 4, the importance of fixing our minds, not on our problems, but on Jesus. And as soon as I uh, talked to Cece, and she wasn't here last week, and she said, how did it go? I wanted to, but the worst way to share all the problems that had happened. But I thought, you know what? I can't do that. I gotta focus on the Lord because God is still God, God is still good in every situation. And so as people to, to live out of this peaceful place, we have to have our eyes and our minds and our hearts constantly focused on the Lord. And so I want us the community to continue to grow in prayer, to be people of prayer, to be people who aren't just talking about prayer, but people who are actually praying because of the world that we live in. We live in a physical world, but what is more real is the spiritual world that exists. And we're going to see that in Acts chapter 12. And so hop into uh, Acts chapter 12. And we're going to uh, finish the story of Peter's miraculous escape from prison. And we're going to start in verse 6. And the background is that um, Peter uh, was thrown into prison by Herod. Uh, Herod had already captured another leader in the church, James. James was killed. And so uh, Herod thought, wow, this pleased people. And so let's throw Peter in prison and eventually kill Peter. And uh, we're going to pick up the story uh, from there. It says in verse 6, The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. And suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. That's how deep Peter was sleeping. The angel had to strike him on the side. Said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off of his wrists. Then the angel told him, get dressed, put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed through the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angels suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. I got just a simple question this morning. How did Peter get out of prison? How did Peter get out of prison? Look look at this, this passage that we just read. Peter was asleep. Peter was was in prison. And it said, suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side, told him to get up. And Peter was kind of in a daze, and and he he woke it, and he he got up. And then it said, as soon as he got up, the, the chains fell off of his wrists. And he's following the angel. He's following the angel out of of prison. And then they come across an iron gate. And the iron gate just miraculously opens. I was thinking of that question, how did Peter get out of prison? How did he become set free? And it's a simple, simple answer. It was a supernatural move of God. Peter didn't do anything to escape. Peter didn't plan his escape. 
He didn't brainstorm his way out of prison. No, it was a miracle. It was a supernatural move of God to get Peter out of prison. Which reminded me throughout this week of the reality that all of us know. And it's this, that we are in a spiritual battle. I mean, turn to, turn to Ephesians 6, verse 12. We know this verse. This is the reality that we find ourselves in. Paul is writing to a group of believers in Ephesus, and he says this, We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. As we look at Acts 12, we see that there's this conflict between followers of Jesus and Herod, but in reality, the conflict was between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness. And that has always been the case. We are in a spiritual battle. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of this dark world. A little bit later in Acts chapter 16, we see a similar situation. We see that Paul and Silas were in prison. They were put in prison because people did not like them sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they didn't like it that this, this young girl who was enslaved, who was tormented by an evil spirit, was set free. And Paul and Silas set her free, and they're thrown into the prison. And the same thing happens with Paul and Silas that happened with Peter. They miraculously escape at midnight while they're singing, and while they're worshiping, and while they're praying. We are in this spiritual battle that manifests itself in so many different ways. That manifests itself between Herod and followers of Jesus, Paul and Silas, and, and, and evil uh, slave owners. I think of uh, the Old Testament, and I've shared this story before. You know, we're in the spiritual battle, and, and um, there's a story back in 2 Kings 6 where Elisha and his servant are surrounded by a great army. And the servant opens the door, and, and his servant freaks out because he sees this army, the army of the, uh, the enemies of Israel, surrounding Elisha's house. And Elisha is all chill. He's all just calm, and he says, God, just open up my servant's eyes. I know it's fine. I open up my servant's eyes. What happens? The eyes of the servant are open, and they see the armies of God surrounding this big army. I think of that story, and I think of so many different stories. And it's this reality of that we are in a spiritual battle. And you and I, if I talked with you, you'd be like, yep, that is absolutely true. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of this dark world. But I have to ask myself and all of us this question. Are we living like it? Are we living like that is reality? Are we engaging in spiritual battle the way that we're taught to engage in spiritual battle? Or are we saying, you know what? There's a spiritual battle that exists, but we're just going to live our lives in the physical realm and go through our life like we normally go through it. Paul gives us very specific ways on how we are to engage in spiritual warfare. Let's just read Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Paul says this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. I mean, that's what the Lord wants for us. He doesn't want us to, to cower in fear in the corner. He doesn't want us to crumble. He wants us to stand firm. And then he says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world. And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, this is what you're to do. Put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy 
in the time of evil. There is an enemy that is coming after each and every one of us. Paul says, this is how you're to resist. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness, knowing that, that we are made clean by the blood of Jesus. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then he says this, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. I mean, I could go through every single one of those. But Paul is very clear. This is how we are to stand firm. This is how we are to resist the devil. This is how we are to live our lives, putting on this spiritual armor. But the thing that I focused on this week is he says over and over, he says at the very end, pray. Be persistent in your prayers. I think so often we undervalue, I undervalue the importance of prayer and undervalue what happens as we pray. I mean, Jesus taught us to pray, told us to pray. He even told his disciples as they were coming down the mountain of transfiguration, Jesus came across this big scene where um, people were arguing with the disciples. And Jesus is like, what's going on? And he's like, we brought this, this demon-possessed boy to your disciples, and they couldn't deliver him. Can you help us? And they interact with Jesus, and Jesus delivers this boy, and he's set free. And then the disciples are like, Jesus, why couldn't we do this? And this is what Jesus says. He says, this kind, deliverance, this kind can only come out by prayer. We are engaged. We are engaged in a spiritual battle. And the only solution in a spiritual battle is with spiritual weapons. I look at Acts 12. The only way out that Peter, the only way Peter was going to get out wasn't a physical solution. It had to be a spiritual one. Acts 16, when Paul and Silas were in prison, the only way out was not a physical solution. It was a spiritual one. 2 Kings 6, when Elisha and his servant was going through that situation, the only way that they were going to be delivered, the only solution that was going to get them out was not a physical solution, but was a spiritual solution. Mark 9, the same thing with the boy who was demon-possessed. The only solution was a spiritual one. Over and over again, you see the only solution is a spiritual one because we are engaged in spiritual warfare. The problem that I see so often is we bring a physical solution to a spiritual problem. Over and over again, we bring a physical solution to a spiritual problem. Peter wasn't going to get out of it with a physical solution. They weren't going to scheme their way out of prison. They weren't going to brainstorm their way out of the cell. They needed a move, of, a supernatural move of God. And what gets you and I out of a situation isn't a clever solution, isn't awesome ideas, it's the power of God busting in in your life. The way that, that God will move, the way that, that, that things will happen in your friend's life, in your neighborhood, in this world, is only through a supernatural solution, God breaking through in a powerful way. You look at the book of Acts. You look out throughout Scripture. Every major move of God was birthed in prayer as they poured out their hearts before God. I want us to be people that don't just believe that we're engaged in a spiritual battle, but actually live it out. Have the faith to live it out. James does say, like, you will know your faith by your works. Are we living like the fact that we're in this spiritual warfare? And are we praying? Are we pouring out our hearts before the Lord like we're engaged in this type of lifestyle? I was so encouraged last week 
because somebody after the service came up and shared a testimony with me. And I just want to share this and just highlight the importance of prayer. They're not here today, but uh, Courtney Haverty came up and shared a little testimony. Here's a picture of Courtney and Isaiah and their uh, little girl, Elaine. And she said this every night. She shared this on Instagram and, and gave me permission to share this. She said every night she sings to her daughter. She sings the song, God, You're So Good. A little chorus that we sing on KB. Whether it's a good day or a bad day, she sings these words and pray that, that and pray that her daughter Lainey will grow up to believe that truth. But for a while, like as she was singing these, these words, she would sing the words more out of habit than reverence. And she said, quite honestly, with a bit of reluctance, she would she would sing these words. And she started to wrestle with doubt. She started to say, Okay, do I really believe these words that I've been singing? Last Saturday night, she sang the words and, and then said a prayer. I prayed this prayer, and she goes, God, will you confirm this for me? Will you show up and will you show me? Like, show me in a real tangible way that you are good and that you are hearing me. And then the thought came to her mind, and she prayed this, and she goes, God, if we sing this song at church tomorrow, I'll know you see me and you hear me. All the while fighting discouragement. And last week, week after a song, we say, God, you're so good. And she just said, tears just started coming down her face. She's like, God, you do see me. You do know me. You do know what I'm going through. And I think of that situation, I'm like, is that coincidence? Absolutely not. That is the lifestyle that we are engaged in this spiritual battle. Like, here's this young mom who said, I'm discouraged. I'm going to pray. I'm going to throw out my concerns before you, Lord. And God heard and saw think like, oh, that's just a small little thing. No, not to Courtney. She shared that all over this week. What an answer to prayer. And this is how we fight our battles. This is how we engage in the life of following Jesus. Praying, throwing out our cares and our concerns before the Lord. Knowing that he hears, knowing that he's going to do things that we see and things that we don't see. But we have to pray these bold, bold prayers. And we have to do this before we ever step out in obedience. Before we ever step out and do something. We pray and then we act. I love this all the way through this chapter. In Acts chapter 12, this angel comes and appears and, and, and Peter obeys without fully knowing what's going on. He's just like, okay, this is what's going on. I'm just going to obey. But I think so often we get this backwards. We work hard. We try to, to make things up and we try to do things in our own strength without praying first and then obeying. I think what would happen if we just prayed? Hold out our hearts before the Lord. And then obedience came out of that. And here's the thing that I saw in this passage when it comes to obedience. What does obedience look like? Obedience means doing what the Lord puts on our heart to do without knowing the end result. Obedience is getting dressed without knowing where you're going. Peter had no idea where he was going. And he gets dressed and he follows this angel. And we have to be willing to obey out of a time spent with the Lord. Because that's what happens in prayer. As we pray, the Lord gives direction. We take those steps, and we pray again, and he gives more direction. But I think the underlying thing that we have to wrestle with this morning is do we actually believe this to be true? Do we have the faith that as we pray, God will move mountains? God will move in miraculous ways. Look at the early church in Acts chapter 12, and we'll wrap up this story and have a little bit of a challenge. Verse 12. 
It says, when he realized this, Peter was getting out of prison. He went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. I love that they had faith to pray. Because we started this chapter noting that James had just died, and they prayed, they would have prayed for James. But they didn't get the answer that they wanted, but they were still praying. They were still throwing out their request before the Lord. And so they had faith. And do we have faith to keep praying? It goes on, verse 13. He knocked the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's standing at the door. And then this response surprises her. They said, you're out of your mind. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued to knock. When, the, the, when they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had let him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said, and then he went to another place. What I love about that is they had the faith to pray. They were crying out before the Lord, but they also, it shows this very real part that there was still some unbelief in their heart. They were surprised when God answered their prayer in a certain way. They were surprised when he was standing at the door. And so the thing that I think we constantly have to live in between is this tension of, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe that you're good. I believe that you will answer prayers. I believe that you will move mightily. But I have some unbelief because of what I've seen. I haven't always experienced it. I want us to be a people that are constantly growing in faith, that are constantly growing, going to the Lord, knowing that we're engaged in this spiritual battle and we're actually living like it, that we're going and asking the Lord to break strongholds, to set people free, to deliver people, to heal the sick. But we have to have the faith to get on our knees and to pray, not just once, but to do it over and over and over again. I want to end with this story. And many of you have seen this or maybe heard about this. But I think this is just a good reminder of us, for us to have faith this morning, to continue to get on our knees and to cry out for the Lord. It's a story that was shared by Priscilla Schreier. I'm going to let her share our video. And then we're going to come out of this with just a time of worship and prayer. And I am going to put the microphone in the back like we did a couple weeks ago. And if you have a prayer that you want to just pray uh, uh, during our time of worship, just go to the back and just pray. This is a time to pray, though, not to preach or not to share you know, a thought, just to pray for the Lord. But I want us to be people who are full of faith, crying out to the Lord and saying, do it again, move in our land, move in It was the 1940s or so when there was a professor who was in England. His name was Professor Orr, O-R-R. -R. He taught theology at a university there. He decided to take some of his theology students, this is the 1940s, he decided to take them on an excursion, a field trip, so to speak. And so he gathered up his students and he said, we're gonna go visit some of the historical places here in England that have some sort of theological significance. He took them to many religious sites, some that had been very strategic in the building up of the church and in um, the Christian faith. And one of the places that they visited was the Epworth uh, Rectory, which would have been the home, the living place, the study place of one of the great reformers of the church. His name was John Wesley. John Wesley sort of put in place much of the theology upon which the church that you attend, that I attend, a lot of that foundational theology was crafted by reformers like John Wesley. 
So John Wesley would study, he would teach, he would preach, he would pray that revival would spread out, not only in England, but he prayed for it here in our country, that revival would break out. He and others like him ushered in, in prayer, some of the great revivals that swept through America in the early 1900s where people in mass were coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord, where the heavens seemed to be open in an unusual way and revival broke out in a way that has made the history books that we still look back on now and recognize the fire of God's spirit that spread during that time period. It's because guys, many of them, like John Wesley, were on their knees praying that God would move. So these theology students went and they visited this rectory, this house where he lived, and they went in the kitchen. Professor Orr showed them all where John Wesley would have uh, eaten his uh, lunch and his dinners, where he would have cooked, where he would have lived his life there. Took him into the study where John Wesley would have studied. These theology students were enamored because, of course, some of the old books that John Wesley would have studied from, that he had written in, some of those notes they had preserved, they were still there on the desk and on the bookshelves. And so the theology students were feeling the, the spines of those books, just enjoying the richness of this history. And then Professor Orr walked the students up to the second floor where the the most intimate quarters of John Wesley would have been his bedroom, walked in the bedroom, and the students began to file around the bed in a tiny space in that bedroom. And as they all filed into the room, one of them noticed as they got around the far side of the bed that there were two um, small patches, well-worn patches in the carpet fibers of the floor. They were right next to each other and they were beside the bed. And he he asked his professor about those patches that were worn right there beside the bed. And Professor Orr explained that it is said that those two patches were the actual places where every single morning, not for a minute or two, but for several hours on end, John Wesley would plant his knees right beside his bed. And he had prayed so long and so hard for revival that his knees had actually imprinted themselves onto the floor. That the carpet fibers were, were worn as he prayed for revival. So the students stood in there for a moment. And after a few moments, they left the room. They went downstairs. They all got on the bus to go to the next location. Professor Orr stood at the front of the bus, counted the students to make sure everybody was there. And he realized one was missing. He walked back into the house, went into the kitchen to look for the student. Nobody was there. Went into the study to look for the student. Nobody was there. Walked up the stairs into the bedroom. And he could just see across the other side of the bed the head and shoulders of a student who had planted his knees down in those well-worn patches on the floor. And he could hear the student praying, Do it again, Lord. Lord, would you do it again? And would you do it again with me? Professor Orr walked around the side of the bed. He put his hand on the the shoulder of the student. And he said, it's time to go. And rising from his knees, Billy Graham went and joined the rest of the students on the bus that day. (laughs) And then, God did it again. And I just wonder what would happen 
If this week there were some people who were brave enough to say, Lord, would you do it again? Would time I watch that video, what rises up in me is this prayer, do it again, Lord. And then I think of the number of people who lived in West Michigan who God worked mightily through. I think of, of Hope College and a, and a man and a team, you know, a man named Ben Patterson, who I, I know, and, and just a whole team that got on their knees and prayed this prayer, do it again, Lord, send revival into this area because they knew that the answer to the physical problems that we see in this world is not a physical solution, but a spiritual one. Think of a man named Martin Clapper who God used in this area to bring revival, who prayed, who was not touching, and just prayed and prayed and prayed, God, move in this area. I think of all the things that are happening in our world today, and the solution is not a physical solution. The solution is a spiritual solution. And so I am wondering in this room today, would you be willing to pray the prayer that Billy Graham prayed, that John Wesley prayed, like, do it again, Lord. Move in our land, move in our lives, move in our family, move in our neighborhoods, move in our midst. And will you do it again and will you do it through me? We are engaged in a spiritual battle. The only solution is a spiritual one, but we have to be a people who are on our knees in faith, believing and praying that God wants to move and that God will move. So let's sing this song. If you want to pray out loud, the microphone is in the back. Just go get the guy's attention and we'll wrap up our time. Prayer.
purpose on each one of us um, as part of the body of Christ. For Billy Graham, it was something that we would consider extraordinary, but um, Billy Graham is, you know, no different from each one of us in this room, um, and that God has a reason that you are his child, um, and he wants to use you for his kingdom in a specific way. And that first step of obedience is just to surrender ourselves to him in prayer and to pray for those things, um, to pray for the movements of God, to pray for the areas in our culture, in our community, in our church that we need God to move. Um, he moves when we believe. Um, he moves when we pray, when we trust. Um, and he's going to use us, his church, his people, um, to bring revival. So I just want to take a minute. Um, I want us to do it out loud. We do this sometimes at worship in the woods called a waterfall prayer, where we just all together at once just pray to the Lord. Um, it's kind of awkward maybe, but um, I want us to take that step of obedience because I think there's maybe urges right now and nudges of the Holy Spirit where he wants us to speak. He wants us to speak out, um, but there's all that fear. There's the anxiety. There's the, the darkness that's trying to push it down, and I want us to just kind of break through and just pray in the name of Jesus that he would move this morning. Um, so let's just take a minute before we continue singing. Um, and I just want us to all at once out loud. I want us to pray the, pray the big prayers. I want us to pray for the movement of God. I want us to pray for the healing. I want us to pray for power. I want us to pray for faith, for boldness in this community. Um, so I'm going to count to, I do like a three, two, one, and then we're just going to waterfall prayer over this room, um, over our lives, over our community, and over this city. Let's go. Three, two, one. Father, thank you.
Thank you.